Well, you know where to turn, I believe. Um, If you've been here for a week or two or more, we are in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We're picking up at verse 12. We'll be in verses 12 through 16. Again, I encourage you to be reading through the book during the week. Um, At least maybe read through it once or or listen to it in the car on a drive uh, to continue to familiarize yourself with God's Word and perhaps even do it in various translations uh, as those kind of things can help stick out in your mind and, uh, and to help pique um, your thoughts as you go through it. So let's turn our attention to the reading of God's Word. Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for uh, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Grass withers, flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever and is there for our strengthening and grace. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would open our eyes this morning, Lord, illuminate our hearts and our minds, that we would hear wonderful things from your word. Empower me, Lord, to speak with clarity, to speak your words of truth. Lord, be at work in all of us. In many ways, these are hard words because they call us to so much. And so may your spirit comfort and encourage us this morning for your glory and, Lord, really for our good and our great joy in you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to the glory of God and my own good, profit and pleasure in the whole of my duration without any consideration of the time, whether now or never so many myriads of ages hence, resolved to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general, resolved so to do whatever difficulties I meet with, how many soever and how great soever. Two, resolved to be continually endeavoring to find out some new contrivance and invention to promote the forementioned things. Three, resolved if ever I shall fall and grow dull so as to neglect to keep any part of these resolutions, to repent of all I can remember when I come to myself again. Or resolved never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or in body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God nor be, nor suffer it, if I can possibly avoid it. Five, resolve never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Six, resolve to live with all my might while I do live. Seventeen, resolve that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. 25, resolved to examine carefully and constantly what that one thing in me is which causes me in the least to doubt the love of God and so direct all my forces against it. And 28, 
resolve to study the Scriptures so steadily, constantly, and frequently as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. Those are just a few of the 70 resolutions that Jonathan Edwards wrote during his lifetime. He wrote them as a younger man, and you can see um, that, that I think it's fair to say that, that you can see a whole lot of resolve in them, right? He was a very determined man, very determined in his life, very much a thinker, and he longed for everything about him, his thoughts and actions, to be controlled by this, this overarching vision of the glory of God. And obviously, you know, if that were to happen, if that were true in his life, there would be growth in his life, wouldn't there? Personal growth and grace and personal clarity about the status of his own life. He would gain more and more uh, an accurate view of himself in light of the God he's getting to know more and more. And he'd gain clarity about the life to which he was called. Now, it seems to me that Edwards and the Apostle Paul would have gotten along quite swimmingly. They, um, they would have been kindred spirits. They were both very purposeful, and, and you, you could use the, the, the word single-minded in their lives. Paul talked about being constrained by the love of Christ. He talked about God's glory. He talked about everything that Christ had done for him, and it determined his actions. As you just read through his letters and, it, and you look at his life, uh, just one example, listen to, to what he wrote in Ephesians 5. Look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Making the best use of the time. Now, there was a, I think there was a really circumspect nature to the Apostle Paul. We see that in the text this morning in Philippians. Paul is already, we looked last week, of, at his determination to, to count all things as loss for the sake of Christ, for the sake of knowing Christ, of, of gaining Christ, of experiencing that full life of Christ. And really this morning, in some sense, we get, we get kind of a self-assessment from Paul. We get a self-assessment to where he is in regard to that counting all things as lost and that gaining of Christ. But the most vivid thing that I think we see this morning is a, an absolute life-guiding ambition an ambition that determines everything that he does. And then kind of on that tail end of that, we see this, this gentle admonishment to his readers. Now, folks, as we look at this, I want us to make sure, because it, it can be easy to forget, um, even though I hope I talk clearly about it, to remember the grace of God. Because anytime you, you focus on maybe these four or five verses here, and it's a call to action, it's a call to do something in our lives, it's a call to pursue something, it is all too easy to take our eyes off the grace of Christ and, and, and divert to sola bootstrapsa. We're just pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and we're, we're putting our head down and hunkering down. That is not what Paul is calling us to this morning. Paul is not ambitious apart from God's working. Rather, he is ambitious because of God's working of grace in his life. 
That's what pushes him. That's what guides him and directs him. And this is what I hope we see this morning as we look at the nature of Paul's admonition or ambition and then his admonition, his admonishment, and thereby that the grace of God would draw us all on to greater and greater resolve in the things of the Lord. So, what was Paul's ambition? What was his ambition? I, I think we see it most clearly in verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In some ways, that, that clarifies what he wrote in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. But actually, before we get to the ambition part, I think it's important to see Paul's attitude in regard to all that he says here. And that, that comes out in verse 12 in particular. Because here's an apostle, a, a pillar of the church, and he's very clearly and very humbly stating how he has not yet reached the goal. He's not perfect. He's not fully mature. He's on this journey along with everyone else. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He calls everyone brothers. He doesn't say, you peons, I haven't gotten there, but you are all way far behind me. Paul's not at the summit beckoning everyone else to come to him going, hey, it's, it's beautiful up here. Come on. He's actually on the climb helping lead us humbly and gently and graciously, encouraging us to continue to press forward. Folks, that's a humble leader. He's not making himself to be what he is not. And in that humility, he is encouraging the rest of us to press on. So now let's ask that question. What are we to press on to? What was Paul's ambition? What is the this that he has not yet already obtained? What's the, what's the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Well, if we back up just a bit in Philippians, which is really the first thing you should do, is you should look at the immediate context to try and answer questions like that. We see that Paul's desire, his aim that we talked about was to gain Christ. It's to know Christ, to, to be found in him, to, to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, so that, that however God willed it, he would, however God willed it in his entire life, he would attain to the resurrection from the dead. He longed to be with Christ. He stated that he had counted all things as lost for the sake of that desire. But that's not yet fully realized. He is not perfect. Paul believed, you know, he knew fully that God called him out of darkness into his marvelous light. Paul believed that he was safe and secure in the hands of his Savior. Paul believed that he was fully justified by Christ, that nothing more could he do to add to his salvation, to earn his salvation in any way. He had been made perfect. All believers positionally have been made perfect. We have been sanctified, but in practice, we are being sanctified. There's a difference there. We will not attain perfection in this lifetime. And you know what? I think we feel that every single day. Many, many times a day. Romans 8, 23 
not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The whole creation is groaning, but we groan because we know what we wrestle with. We know what we fight with. We long for the redemption of our bodies. We long for this freedom from sin. We long for the return of Christ where all things are set right. We long to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servants. We long for that crown of righteousness, the crown of glory that our shepherd will give to those who have loved his appearing. We long to be with the Lord forever. We, we hear these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, and in many ways we can't wait. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Just imagine the greatest thing you can imagine, and you can't imagine what God has prepared for you as a child of God. And then, folks, we catch a glimpse of that glory of what we cannot fully imagine yet. We turn to the last book of Scripture, the Revelation of John, chapter 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And just as an aside, that fulfillment of the covenant promise that he has made with us. He will dwell with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I and making all things new. And he, also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And in verse Chapter 22, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. There will, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever. Everything sad will become untrue, and we will be with Jesus the redemption of our bodies. The prize is Jesus himself, is unmediated, basking in his presence, in the presence of the one who gave himself for sinners. It's being with him and being perfected through 
and through. And you even hear it in those words in Revelation, and you, you, you see it somewhat in this language from Paul that this is given to the one who conquers, to the one who perseveres, shows himself or herself to be God's child. If we love God, folks, we will keep his commandments. That is the love of God, is to keep his commandments. We will pursue him. That's what Paul does. That's what he calls us to. That's his life-guiding ambition is, is to pursue the Lord in all things because he longs for that day of being with Christ. And he wants, he, he knows what it's going to be like in the future, but he wants more and more of that reality in the day to day. He wants the life of God in the soul of man to be more and more true, more and more vivid, more and more real. Look back at the second half of verse 12. Paul writes, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. New American Standard translates it. I, I love the way they word this. It says, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul will press on because he was laid hold of by Christ because Christ has made him his own. Folks, here's the clarity, the, the, the motivation that we need in all of this. It is not to earn anything, but it's in response to the gracious gift of God that we press on. In response to Christ calling us to himself. We did not seek him, he sought us. No one can come to the Father unless God Himself draws Him. We're His sheep. This is what we cannot forget ever. It is because of the grace of God that that, that grace is at work in believers. That is why we press on. We saw that in Philippians 2, right? For it is God who is work in you both to will and to act according to His good pleasure. And we press on to lay hold of the purpose that Christ laid hold of us. What was that? What was that purpose? Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. It's the context of husbands loving your wife, but Paul talks about Christ in the church really more in that. He says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that... There's the purpose that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Do you hear what's being said there? Christ is at work in his people to present them to himself in holiness, in purity to present them blameless, to present the church, his bride to himself, blameless and pure. And so Paul longed for that same thing in his own life. He didn't merely let go and let God and just whatever happens. Rather, he labored. He gave all that he could to pursue that same goal in his own life. And he called on others to do the same thing. He used press on twice 
Now, to press on is to move very rapidly and decisively towards an objective. Rapidly. Folks, being lackadaisical and pressing on do not coexist. They don't. You cannot be a sloth and press on. Contrary to the, that Super Bowl Doritos commercial, uh, flaming hot Doritos will not make a sloth run up a tree. Okay? But not only is pressing on something that we do rapidly and intentionally, but we do it decisively. There's not hesitation and procrastination. There's not, well, I'll get to it tomorrow. Eh, tomorrow comes. Eh, tomorrow looks like a better day. There's to be none of that. We are to be resolved in our lives, resolved in pursuing the proper things. First Timothy 4 Paul wrote, practice these things, immerse yourselves in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do you hear that language? Immerse yourself, persist in this. Paul then uses the language, forgetting what lies behind and straining forwards to what lies ahead. Folks, I, I think this is, this is really vital for us. A Christian cannot be distracted by past failures or successes. Do not live off grace from 20 years ago. Do not live off a success from 20 years, and, and do not be taken out by a failure from 20 years ago. I played tennis. I love watching professional tennis. The French Open's about to start. It's a joy to watch it. And, and I've heard enough interviews, and I knew it myself. I just wasn't good at doing it uh, so much that you cannot think about the point that just happened in the point you're about to play. Whether you had this amazing rally and you won it or you stunk it up something fierce and sent the ball over the fence, you can't think about that. If you do, you're not going to play your best. You can't revel in that great thing or, or think about the other one. You have to continue to strain forward toward the prize. We have to continue to strain. We've, we forget what lies behind and strains forward. I actually I saw a track video this week. I think it was a high, high school track meet. Girls 100-meter hurdles. Girls running out. Second hurdle, she falls down. Most people easily would have just been like, I'm done. She got up like that, ran one by five meters. Unbelievable. She forgot what just happened and said, I'm pressing forward. I'm straining toward that finish line. We, we, folks, we, we have to learn to forget. But listen, this does not mean that we forget the grace and mercy of God or the lessons we learned from the past. We're constantly reminded in Scripture to remember. So, so much of the, the Israelites' problem was that they forgot, and they quickly forgot what God had done for them. We have to continue to remember that because one of our biggest problems in life is we forget the mercies of God and we end up dwelling on our past. We don't forget the things we are to forget, and we forget what it is that has actually given us life. We have to rewire our selective forgetting. Forgetting. 
past sins. And dwelling on them can, and most likely will, lead to despair and even doubt that one can be forgiven. If you just dwell constantly on that past mistake, one, in some sense you're saying, God, the cross wasn't big enough to deal with that. The sacrifice of your son wasn't enough. And it can lead to despair. And and if it doesn't get to that level of severity, the constant looking back will most likely lead to defeatism. If you are running a race, one of the biggest lessons is don't look back. Don't turn around to see where everybody else is because you will probably stumble and fall. Folks, here's the point where you stop and ask yourself, how am I doing at this? How am I doing? This pressing on, this forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead is, is something that's to be controlling all of life. And, and I know this. It is easy to get distracted and not just by past sins and failures or, or even dwelling on past successes, but simply life and responsibilities can, can fog over what we are actually called to do. Even la- last week driving here, the patchy fog was intense in multiple spots early in the morning. And that kind of fogging over what we're called to do can happen so easily. If you are not resolved to do what is of greater importance, folks, it is going to fall by the wayside. If you do not keep that that prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus at the forefront, it will fall by the wayside. You cannot float upstream. Listen to Paul's encouragement to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6. But as for you, O man, or let's say, O woman of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Pursue, fight the fight of faith. Now, Paul doesn't leave it at this statement of his practice, of his ambition, though. He then, like I said, I think he gently admonishes us all. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, what's the point in these verses? I think what Paul is doing is he's He's stating that, that what he has just set forth, pressing on, forgetting what lies behind, let this be this overarching thing, counting all things as loss for the sake of Christ, it's not exceptional. That's not for the higher level of Christian. This is Christianity. This is life with Christ. This is the norm for the believer anywhere and everywhere. This is actually how a mature believer will think. And, and if you are immature, 
What Paul says is, I'm confident God's actually going to make that clear. And you'll move to maturity because God is at work in you to will and to act according to his pleasure. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's confident that you will begin to think that way more and more. My mind goes back to athletics here because there's so much of that language that Paul uses. If you want to be just even a good athlete, let alone a world-class athlete, you'll come to an understanding that you need to adopt certain lifestyle choices. Things like diet, exercise, rest, recreation, even even friendships, how you go about it, really all aspects of life. Folks, you cannot expect that a diet of Twinkies and four hours of sleep at night will be good for you. Okay, I remember seeing an interview with an Olympic swimmer, and he talked about he hadn't had a donut in like six years. Hadn't touched any sugar. He's up at four in the morning to swim. Folks, we have to understand this, that we have to be fit for the contest. We have to be fit for life. And if you're not feeding yourselves with the things of God, with Scripture, prayer, fellowship, and worship, well, might as well just eat Twinkies all day. But again, he's, he's confident that God is going to reveal that to you if you don't think that now. <laughs> That's beautiful encouragement in so many ways. He's like, yeah, you'll get it. I know, I trust God. I trust God is sovereign in this. But let me, let me just say this. Let that time actually be now when you get it. Might as well. Let's not, let's not put it off. Let's not procrastinate. Let today be the day where you resolve by God's grace to pursue knowing Christ. You pursue the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Pursue. Okay, where you press on. And then Paul, he exhorts us. He exhorts all of us that, that no matter we are, where we are in our level of maturity, okay, this is verse 16, that, that we will hold true to what we have attained. Just what you've learned, live, live there and keep growing and then keep living along those lines by the grace of God. Hold on to the progress that you've made. Conform your life to what you know and continue to grow. Folks, this is a challenging section of Scripture. I look at it and I, I look in the mirror and I think, wow, I got a lot probably repent of, to adjust in my life, pray that the Lord reorients my desires, renews them. This calls for an all-in lifestyle. This is not, um, you know, you've heard of 24, this is not like a, a, a two and a half hour, seven day a week type thing. It's not the hours on Sunday morning and you're done. Okay, this is all in. There's no taking a break. There's no retirement in Christianity. Folks, Christianity is not an add-on, okay? 
There's nothing that is to be untouched by our pressing on. There's nothing in our lives that isn't to be governed by the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So what does this all mean for us? Again, I want to make sure let's not devolve into the I just got to do better mentality. Okay, that forgets the grace of God. This is not a guilt trip. This is calling us to continue to press into the glory and grace of Christ, to lift our eyes to the glory that has been given and promised us. I look back at Edward's resolutions, and you read through those, and they're, they're fairly overwhelming. <laughs> fairly overwhelming. And you can find them online if you want to look at them. But this is what he wrote at the beginning of them, before they start. He says, being sensible that I am, that I am unable to do anything without God's help. I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. Folks, if we try and do this apart from his grace, it's not going to happen. And we are going to fail at it. (laughs) And thankfully, we have a gracious God. It is the grace of God that empowers us. It doesn't nullify our effort, though. It actually fuels it. So where are you putting forth your effort in life? Are you putting it in things that matter? Or are you consumed and distracted by worldly cares? You know, to what are you resolved? If, if, we, if we put your daily life, thoughts, you know, your routine, your spending practices, the, your interactions, what type of athlete would you be? The world-class athlete, the, the good athlete, the, the couch athlete, <laughs> um, who's good at opening a bag of Lay's or something, and that's about it. Would you have fallen down and not gotten back up? Barely made it out of the blocks? Distracted by others around you and everything else? Folks, there's a reason I spent a good bit of time earlier in the message about the goal that we are pressing towards. Because that's going to help animate our lives in all of this. Because it's going to be difficult we're going to run up into, we're going to run into hurdles. But having the goal of Christ before us, the person of Christ, the the grace of Christ, that's going to keep us going when it's hard. Let let our time and energy and our lives directed towards the pursuit of prize, let let the attractiveness, the, the glory, the grace of it all and of your Savior who has called you, who has laid hold of you, who has made you his own. Let that push you to lay hold of him and lay hold of what he has called you to. Lay hold of the holiness that God has called us to live in. Let's press on. Let's forget what lies behind 
and strain forward to that upward call of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot here. And it's sometimes hard to, to preach messages that are full of exhortation. I want, I want to see, I, I want everyone to see the goodness of grace. I need to see it more and more in my own life. I know there's a dichotomy between what I, what I teach and how I live. It is for all of us. But Lord, bring those things closer and closer together from, from what we know to how we live by your grace. God, work that in each of us. Do it out of your love. Do it in response to your promise to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.